0: that's all for now folks have a great day good you record video or just audio
1: both video and audio welcome everybody we're now on the final part of the fundamental and insightful uh, series on rabbinic mysticism and uh, the last two classes got the last class and this class will be on how it differs with medieval kabbalah in practice and content uh, Hacham, thank you so much for being here again. Hanukkah um, Samayach to all. And uh, the stage is yours.
0: Okay, very good. So, folks, this is the final of out of four classes on uh, rabbinic mysticism. And compare and contrast with Kabbalah, which is about half of today's class. But first, I wanted to finish the stories about Arba'an Nikhnisula Pardes, which is the Tosefta and Talmud Babli in Masechet Hagigah, Chapter 2. That's the famous source for, uh, the entire source for rabbinic mysticism. Uh, As I mentioned in passing, but I'll now illustrate it with a, a Talmudic story, both Torah and mysticism require individuation. Individuation is a Jungian term, but it means finding your unique perspective and being able to express it. And you'll see how. So there's a story by Rab. This is mentioned in Masechet uh, Menahot, 29b. Amarav Amarav. This relates one of those many stories that tries to, to paint different aspects of Moses' experience on Sinai. Amarav Yehuda, Very many Imrot are transmitted to Yeshivat Pumbedita. No, this is Yeshivat Surah. Um, by his student, Rabbi so when Moses goes up to Mount Sinai, he finds God sitting. Sitting is important. We're going to see it later tonight, but it means it's a sense of authority. Only someone with authority can sit in rabbinic thinking. And he was tying... Crowns to the letters of the Torah. So, what does that mean? There are things that are not explicit in the Torah, but the astute person someday can get out of the Torah by comparing and connecting. That's what kosher ketarim laotiyot. The otiyot have, you know, uh, sometimes they have, or some of them have uh, ketarim, little little zayins that uh, adorn them, and by connecting or tying together different adornments of the text, not the explicit text, but let's say the subtext, you can develop a form of the misvah. you can better understand the misvah or the misbah as a whole. So God is doing this. But that means that they're not explicit. He is just making connections, not disclosing them. So Moses says, who's stopping you from actually writing explicit Pesukim about these connections, about these further elaborations for us of the Torah. Amar God responds, So, as usual, for studying Torah, there's always, there often is a agricultural reference. So um, there's going to be somebody after many, many generations, far in the future, far beyond your horizon, Moses. His name is Akiva ben Yosef. And he is going to be able to doresh, means to investigate and transmit on every little kos, means like the those little zines you see that are part of the crowns of the letters. Tilin, tilin shel halachot. Rows and rows, but a tilin is like a term used when you have a orchard or a field and you make rows and each row grows a different vegetable or fruit. That's tilin, tel tilin, like tel aviv tilin of halachot. So he's going to be able to find within the subtext of the Torah, or the connections between what appears to be nothing but an external detail of the Torah, many, many halachot. Will he be legislating? Yeah, he's legislating. That's what it means. It's not deep in there. It takes a human operating with the Torah to to generate. That's why Moses could not at the time. Moses says, would you please show this man to me? Turn around. So he was, you know, prophetically transported to the Bet Midrash of Rabbi Akiva circa 100, let's say, A.D. And he sits in the end, means the last seat of the eight rows. There used to be eight rows of students in uh, Bet Midrash. And at the last row, in the last seat, Moses goes and sits. But he had no clue what they were talking about. Tashash, he got weak. Psychologically, he was traumatized. But when Rabbi Akiva got to one particular topic, his students said to him, Rabbi, where is this from? What's the source of this? Rabbi Akiva said, This is a halakha on Misinai. Moses' mind was calmed, But notice he, he heard what was being discussed and le- later labeled Halakhal Moshem Sinai, but he did not comprehend it. So that tells you a few things, one of which is the famous uh, rabbinic, let's say, Seter Torah, that Halakhal Moshem Sinai is not literally, it's not a historical term, it's a legal category. Almost all of the Sinai that I know of were not transmitted by Moses. And that, that makes sense here. Rashi on this page has a problem. So he says, oh, this vision happened before this halakha was given to Moses. But that's a stretch. And a needless one. Uh, the hahamim take the text. That's what God is telling Moses. You're great, Moses. You're the greatest Nabi, whoever was and ever will be. And still... You have to wait for it to be Akiva to apply his particular time and space and his particular individuality to gener- to be able to generate these rows and rows and rows of piles of halachot. You can't do it. It's, it's not that it's hidden in the Torah and you're not capable of finding it, it's pointed to in the Torah, and you don't know how to make those connections for your context, because for your context, everything is more or less explicit. So to be functional, a truth must be historically bound. There's a truth at a certain point in history and a truth about the same book, different one in a later point in history. Because the truth that the Torah teaches is continuously unfolding, people in an early historical period cannot fathom its future development and application. Just like in our own lives, what you knew at age 28 is really different than what you know at age 68. And there's no way your 28-year-old self could ever know what you know at 68. And you have to be uh realize that that, that happens, and, and humans change with time, and generations change with time, and that's that's why individuality and individuation is necessary, not only for studying Torah, but of course for studying mysticism. So where we left off, <coughs> we studied the encounter between Rabbi Al-Azhar bin Arach uh, and the perfect, successful transmission of the Rashid Perakim and weaving them together in the two stages of um, uh, pitiha and harasa of Al-Azhar bin Arach with Yohanan bin Zakkai. Now we have four who entered the Pardes together. First of all, that should set off a red flag. You're not supposed to do it together. And apparently they kind of did it themselves, although Rabbi Yehoshua was present, Rabbi Yehoshua being a student of Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, but it wasn't the same direct transmission as was the case between Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai this is the second story in and final and now we we'll see what happens four enter the orchard it's called an orchard because that's where you go to grow and nurture the little that your teacher scattered in front of you and in in a casual way, not in an organized way. It has nothing whatsoever to do with what they tell you Pardes is an acronym for Peshat, Remesh, Dirash, so absolutely not. That's made up in, in the who knows when, the 12th century. It first appears in the Zohar, I believe. But the original text was not Pardes, it was Keren. For whatever reason, when they formulated Mishnah Hagigah and Tosefta Hagiga, they changed the word to Pardes. Why? I don't know. But it's a Persian word. What does it mean? Maybe this is why. It means the king's garden. A special garden that the king has. That's where paradise comes from. It's a totally Persian word. It's not an acronym. Ben Azai. I call it Ben Azai. Most people say Ben Azai. But you should not put a Dagesh in that Zain. It means someone from Aza. He was a Gazan. Not to be confused with Gazda. But he was a Gazan. Ben Azai, Uben Zoma, Aher, be Akiva. Now, these were all great hahamim, I mean, super hahamim. Ben Azai, Uben Shimon ben Zoma, was the, uh, he succeeded in convincing his colleagues that we should recite Misiyat Nisraim Balelot, as we all recite in the Haggadah and in the Mishnah He in chapter one of Berafod. Rabbi Aher, Elisha ben Abuya, was the teacher of Rabbi Meir. But it be Akiva, y- y'all know about it. Ehad, hissis, Le Lehassis means to peek. Like in Shira uh, Shirashirim, mesis <laughs> harakim." It means to peek, not to look directly. Generally, it means to peek at something you shouldn't be looking at. And it's a kind of a, a quick, unorderly looking. Ehad, <laughs> One peeked and died. Another peeked and was became mentally ill he went crazy one peaked uh, and cut those young saplings that the hahamim had planted in him went up in peace and went down in peace now we're going to explain all this then Then died in the, now the Hahamim say in the middle of his dirasha without being able to finish it. And that was kind of rahmanud on him because he was twisting his mind in places it shouldn't go. And to save him, to have an uncomplicated or untainted alam haba, he was killed. In the middle of that bad dirasha. This is dirasha. The real pishad is something else. But he, the Hachamin used this pasuk to say, he who is precious in God's eyes is killed as an act of chesed. Ben Zoma, he peaked and he was meant, to, he was touched, means he was like injured. Allah if you find uh, honey, just eat enough that satisfies you. If now honey's sweet, so like we know kids, if you give them candy, they'll keep eating more candy even though they're not hungry, and the, and and the more they eat, the worse the stomach feels, and even the First few candy bars that you could have been satisfied with and you were hungry for, that that experience is now tainted because you get sick, you go on a sugar high. Lest you be satiated. So don't, if you're already satiated, you've eaten too much. Just eat enough. Just eat enough. When you're in the middle of eating, sometimes you don't know where the point of satiety is. So you should be careful about that. Because if you become satisfied, you will throw up all of it, and now you're worse off than you were. Not only you don't have the honey, but now your stomach is in a mess, and you still need to eat again, and everything's twertu, as we say in Ladino, or uh, means twisted. Elisha Elisha He peaked and he cut the saplings that were planted in his mind by the hahamin as a, you know, and a haham, etc. before coming to the parades, That's a problem. This from Kohelet. Don't let your mouth cause your flesh to sin. It's a derashah. It means something else in Kohelet. Close, but not this. What they mean here is when you have a mystical vision, whether or not you say it out loud, you're articulating it to yourself. You're saying, aha, this means X, Y, Z. Once you say that, there's a temptation to get locked to those words. What what used to call logocentrism. Once you hear the word, you're kind of stuck in that one meaning of the word and you're less flexible. So if you're eating too much, Means you're peeking too much at the mystical vision, you just can't help yourself. You like the sugar taste of it. You may end up, and that's why the Pasuk says, Don't let your mouth cause your entire being to, to sin. And that's what he did. The last one succeeded. Why do we say Allah and Yarad? These are the same verbs which parallel the vision of Ya'aqob. This particular model is uh, referring to what the hachamim called descent into the the Merkabah. They imagine in their mind, this is all after the temple is destroyed, but they would picture in their mind going to the attic above the Kodesh HaKodashim, which is uh, Aliyah. And descending down very carefully without looking for, to the side, just like those people, those workers, they used to be lowered into the Kodesh HaKodesh to clean. They had a, like a portal, a porthole. So you look, imagine you're in an elevator. They lower you in the elevator. You don't even open the doors, but there's like a hole. And you can reach your hand through the hole and focus just on what's in front of you. Now, you could peek and look towards the side but things you're not there to clean. You just want to see the, the sights to see. That's a mistake. Uh, like the Kirubin. If you're not cleaning the Kirubin, you shouldn't peak. And so the Mashal is used for those who descend into the Merkabah, which in their mind was just descend into the Debir, the Kodesh HaKodesh. That's why we use these verbs. Allah Pomer, and here's by contrast to all the others. They peaked. He didn't. He didn't peak. Moreover, he only went in a direction that his entire soul knew he was being pulled. So that's the pasuk he's telling God, "Where you pull me, then and only then I will follow you. I'll run after you. I want it, but I'm not going to go in a direction you're not letting me go." So that was restraint. The whole point of this story is you must exercise restraint into the when you're in the parades because there is no way to know how you're going to be tempted. And temptation, mental temptation, is a part of the mystical vision. And you have to have control while you're in it, or you could end up uh, in a terrible end. Here's a similar thing. This is in the Babli. This is the Tosefta. But in the Babli, we, we have a, a Baraita, which is more or less like this one, not the same. And therefore, it's introduced with one of these Baraita uh, indicators, Tanur Now this is why I'm quoting this here. I won't repeat the stuff that's identical. So Rabbi Akiba was kind of like the team captain. They were more or less his peers. Uh, It wasn't a traditional student-teacher relationship, but he was like the leader, of course, of sorts. So he said, So he said, When you get to the stones of pure marble, don't say, We'll explain what this means in a minute. He who speaks lies cannot be seated in front of my eyes. Means if you want to see something about Bore Olam and his Ma'asim, you can't be a liar, which means you can't make serious errors, in this case, in ma'aseh bereshi. But we'll see what that means. This uses a slightly different lashon, Rabbi Akimab, Niknas b'shalom, b'shalom. That's more referring to the mental journey, not to this mashal of going above the kodesh ha-kodeshim in the aliyah and being lowered in. He entered b'shalom, which means he did his uh, harsaa, Sorry, his pitiha was ended well, and also he left now here's what did they see so we all know that they came to a horrible end and Ben Zuma went crazy what happened to him so here you see they asked him must be the other three during this collective experience is it mutar to castrate a dog so that sounds like an innocuous comment. There's a pasuk in Vaikra about the korbanot. Here it is. You cannot offer as a korban any, any animal that is the reproductive system is destroyed for whatever reason. Not only that, it, not only that it shouldn't can't be used at the temple, outside the temple, you shouldn't do it, means you can't make uh, castrate animals at all. So what do we do with bulls? We, we never had a thing as a gelding horse or an uh, ox, which means a, uh, a bull who's been castrated. So we had to learn, by force of necessity of these misvot, how to be bull whisperers and horse whisperers. We had to be able to calm psychologically a regular scallion with full of testosterone and a bull full of testosterone and we were able to understand how to do that and this misfell force us. That's a side point though. So why are you asking Ben Zoma in the Pardes about Sarosei Kalba? So you heard this thing, it nan zona umhir keleb, the price or the pay of a whore and the cost of a dog cannot be used to donate to the temple. Now, as far as our halacha is concerned, we take keleb literally. But the real meaning, the original meaning of a kalba was a homosexual prostitute, a man who played a woman. And that was what he was offering. And so just like the the fare or hire of a female prostitute cannot be donated to the mikdash, nor can the hire of a homosexual prostitute. And maybe they would they would uh, castrate them so that it would, the, the role would be better played. So they're asking him about sexuality in a way. Now, why is that? Because when you enter the pardes, you must use your entire soul, including your unconscious. And part of apophasis that I've been talking about for the first three classes is to cleanse your unconscious in a certain way of certain archetypes or imaginations. If they're still in your mind, because the experience, the mystical experience is so profound and it it permeates your entire soul. If you have what Carl Jung calls archetypes in your deep unconscious that you've suppressed thinking that you're a rationalist and I'm an intellectual Jew and I'm a critical reader And all you did is shove them down because you wouldn't, you would never critically read your own soul, your own psyche. You're too busy reading external books and making explanations. Wonderful, but that has a negative. If you go into the mystical experience like that, they will come up to the surface and occlude your vision. And that's what happened. More. so this was happening at the very same time that the Arba'an Sulla part this. So to be Hoshua, therefore, we get the hint he's kind of overseeing, but he's not doing the, the traditional transmission. He's on a ma'ala in the Harhabay. So I think a high place. He's getting ready to descend to the Merkaba himself. And he sees Benzoma, and ben Zoma, who's his student didn't stand in front of Rabbi uh, yeah. Hoshua. So Rabbi Hoshua tells him, Where are you coming from and where are you going? As we say in Arabic, I was looking, that's a term that means uh, to, you say, to look at mystical subjects. I was looking. You know, in the original creation story in Bereshit, um, after, a, after the Rakia is established, there is Ma'im above the Rakia and Ma'im below the Rakia, which refers to Earth, right? Uh, it could refer to many, many planets in, in the universe, but from the point of view of our story, we only know about at that point. We only know there's a planet like Earth with people on it, etc. So I was looking, considering, he means, what's the difference between the upper waters and the lower waters? You remember from the Pesukim, they're, they're separated. So that means something happened. They're no longer identical. They're no longer both pieces of the original mind. Neither of them is the original mind, but they both morphed into something else. And there's no difference. There's no distance between them except Shalosh Espa'al. It's like nothing, right? So he took the word, which means hovering, but that's the original mime. That's not the mime after the change, right? after the Habdalah. He takes that as like a dove that hovers over her. Babies, but doesn't touch the nest. So, what is the problem here? Ben Zuma is positing that there's only a geographic distance and a minimal one of that between the Maim Ha'el which make, became something else, and the Maim Atahmanim, which is like water on, on the planet Earth. That's a mistake. They underwent a substantive change. They're of a different quality completely. Amar that Rabbi Hashua said to his students, Who would that be? The other three, right? So we get from this story that they, the four, didn't just—they weren't just cowboys. They, they marched in all on their own. Somehow, Rabbi Yehoshua is tutoring them, but he's giving them a wide berth. That's what's going on in this particular mystical transmission. Adain ben Zoma bahos. Ben is still outside, which means he's—he's he, he's not going to get into the temple precinct, let alone the Kodesh HaKodashim. He's not going to make it. He's not properly prepared. Ben Zuma succeeded in entering the orchard, but failed to find the temple's gate. The topic of his opening dialogue, the, therefore, if you can't get through the gate, the Sha'ar of the Ben Hamikdash, you're not going to get into the Kodesh HaKodashim. The topic of his opening dialogue was the separation between the waters taking place on the second day of creation. When he was asked by Yehoshua to explicate, he dwelt on the distance between the waters. According to Harabam, the mistake consisted in believing that the separation between the upper and lower waters was only spatial, both retaining the same original nature. In reality, their separation involved radical change in their respective natures, just like the separation of light and darkness or on the first day. Out of the, whatever was originally called mind, different substances were created. Rabbi Akiva's warning, when you reach marble stones, do not say maim maim, was to correct Benzema's mistake. How did he know that that was his mistake? I don't know how. He was observing, or he knew him, or whatever. The water above heaven was not the same as the water below heaven. A radical change had taken place. The upper water was transformed into a substance-designated marble stone. Therefore, it would be false to designate them by the same name, hence it would be Akiva's warning, do not say, mine." mine. Okay. The third member of the group was Elisha ben Abuya. According to the version preserved by Hanabam, the rabbis applied to him the verse, devash masata dayeka Eat only what you can, but less than sebi'ah, less than satiety, right? Because you never know your point of satiety if you're eating you know, strawberry shortcake. Less, so you should eat. And Hanabam says this in Hekhod De'od. Whenever you eat, don't eat to being satiated. Eat to being less than it. Uh, means he trespassed the boundaries of his understanding. Therefore, he cuts some of the plants. Ki to take a further look. The plants are the fundamental teachings or words of the Torah that are planted by the ancient Hachamim. Elisha bin Abuya, not only did he not further develop the plants, but he cut some of them out. He undid them. means he made himself less intelligent than he was. He delighted his eyes with the esoteric vision, became lustful, and engaged in sexual promiscuity. We'll see in a moment. After exiting the orchard, he pro- propositioned a prostitute to prove to her that he was no longer Or he wasn't the famous scholar. Known as Elisha. Because she recognized him. He uprooted a radish on the Shabbat. And ate it. And she said oh it must have been Elisha Ahayel. That's why he's called Ahayel. So I'm just noting. A failed mystical vision. Brings up sexual lust. Both in the imagination. Like we saw with Ben Zoma. And I don't think I read it for you. But the other thing was. Ah. After he answers about the kalba, then they ask him Shalav ben a second question, and here's an interesting question: What about a pregnant virgin? Can she marry a kohen gadol? Why would he be talking about a pregnant virgin? This is Roman Palestine. This is there are Christians at the time. Was there a myth that Christianity adopted? Yes, absolutely. The Mithra myth, where there's a pregnant virgin gives birth to a God, but a man, a God, a man, all this kind of conflict. So Benzoma was sexual type archetypes arise in him. Elisha Aher leaves the vision and he's full of some kind of energy. He doesn't know what to do with it. It comes out in a sexual way. Uh, here we see a similar thing. We have seen this movie before. You remember that the Shibarim Zekanim, including Nadab and Abihu. They, this is in Pirashad Mishpatim. They saw God. They had a mystical vision of bore alam at post harsinai or right afterwards. And they saw God. And lo and behold, under God's feet was a kind of sapphire brick. He's like, imagine bricks made out of pure, clear, radiant sapphire gems. And they were like clear, pure, like the like the light blue of the sky. That's a negative because the next pasuk says, and nonetheless, to these princes of Israel, God didn't do anything. They saw a God, a mystical vision, but they, they couldn't really bring it out properly. They did not... Uh, Yas Yoseh be lo Beshalom. Unlike it to be akima. so they had to do something physical. They had to do something to satisfy a, a desire. So they ate and drank. So that's that's a similar thing. It was a negative. Uh, some commentaries on the Hamash try to make apologetics. Don't believe them. That's what's happening here. Harav makes a whole thing about this in the Moren Nibuchim. I think part one, chapter five or six, maybe seven. You can find it there. Uh, I'm just going to read this last part about um, Aher. So, Amar. So, here's what happened. I'll, I won't translate everything, but I'll tell you more or less what happened. He has a vision where he sees Metatron, who is a Malach, which in rabbinic thinking, he's kind of a messenger of Allah. Sometimes you don't see God himself, but you see Metatron. Elisha Acher mistook metatron not as a symbolized symbol, symbolizing God, but as an independent entity, like you take the symbol as something real, not unlike taking words and thinking they have power, because words really are only symbolic. You hear a word, it points to a concept in your mind. But some people, like some Mekubbalim, think that if you recite the right Hebrew words, that does something like the, the myth of Rumpelstiltskin. If you know the name, you have some power, right? Or the uh, sorcerer's apprentice. If you can say the right word, you can have magical things happen, right? So he mistook the symbol of God for an independent entity, and he he was tempted by what they call Shatere Shiot. That's the a minor god and a less and a, and a major god. That's like a Persian idea, and so he got involved with that. He then heard, I think from the lesser God, from Metatron, he heard a call that says, Ahar can never do Tisha He made a mistake in thinking that that was irrevocable. He, mis- he misunderstood what it said. So Amar, speaking about himself in the third person, after he left the Pardes, he says, well now since that guy, meaning me, uh, lost that world means I might as well enjoy this world. He went on to a horrible Tarbudra is a bad culture literally, but it means he he was totally devolved. So he's chasing all over kind of physical pleasures. The first thing he finds outside of the Pardes is a whore. He solicited her. The love elishab and Aren't you elishab and Shabbat. This must have been Shabbat, which makes sense. You would do the, the mystical vision in the pardes on Shabbat. That's when people study Torah, they have time, etc. So he pulls up a radish growing from the ground, via habla, and he gave it to her. Amirah, who she knows the Elishab and Abuya that I know would never pick. This is a mamash. Uh, I mean, that's uh, you know, that's uh, complete milakha. This Elisha ben Abuya would never do that. Must be Ahirat. This guy is somebody else who looks like him. That's the point. So, the rabbis offered the following illustration. A, a model to what may this be compared. To a royal orchard, there's the pardes, having an upper chamber built on the top. What can a man do? Take a glimpse. Providing that he would not nourish his eyes. From him. That's like a pure imaginary pleasure. You're not perceiving anything, but it looks like you're taking a peek. It looks like something good. You just can't stop eating the honey. The model conveys the lure present in esoteric discourse. Upon crossing into the orchard, one may choose a wrong perspective and fall prey. This should say fall to the temptation of a forbidden insight insinuated by the expression yazim et Aina. That's a forbidden pleasure. It's a purely imaginary one. This is what happened to Ben Zoma and El-Sha'ah. Um, okay. So let's do this. This is the end of the first part, which is the Arba'a part. This. So this is important. A little bit complicated, but very important. To illustrate the crossroads structuring this crisis, the crisis of entering the esoteric realm, the rabbis offered a second model. Rather than to tread on one of the paths lying ahead, the chart, let's just say charting, let's fix that, of a new path is required. In our terms, this means of a human being,
2: liot kol rak but all of his aimings, right, all of his turnings, all of his goals, should be to God, right? Now that is straight out of what? That's straight out of the Rambam, right? That's exactly what our Rambam says. And it which I'll show you in one second. I'm going to stop this for a second. I'll show you where it is. Un momento. momento. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Rambam says, A human being must aim his heart and all of his deeds. To know God only. Nothing more. His sitting, his standing, his talking, meaning all that he does. Yeah. Must be all facing opposite that thing. Then Arambam gives examples of it. He does this, you know, gives examples and basics. So that is what the Ramhal is saying over here. He's simply quoting the Halakha of Rambam. And he's saying, We've established everything should be, should only be to the Bore. There should be no other aim. No other goal. Be'kol ma'aseh she'ya'aseh everything that a person, anything a person does. Literally, as what Harabam says. Im katan, im gadol. your goal is to be able to connect and to become close to Kadosh Baruch Ul kol and to break all of the barriers and all of the partitions that keep you from... Your maker, from your creator, Ben-Ul ben Kono. What are they? All of the physicality and everything tied to it. Now, people read this wrongly because they think that all of a sudden Ramhal is becoming a Christian. And that he say, oh, you know, all physical things are bad. That is not what he's saying. When he says humriyut, he's talking about the Alam hazef things, which means what? What I've explained to you. He's talking about the primal, limbic, protective, evolutionary elements that are shared across humanity for biological genetic survival. And that is a question of not deed as much as perspective. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Yeah? <speaking> Right, so the point, so you get to the point that you're like a magnet. That's literally what that means. Like you're like you're like the barzel, like you're like the iron that run that that uh, clings to the to the magnet to the stone that is a magnet. Anything that you might think is a, a, a means through which you can achieve this. You run after it, you hold it tight, don't let it go. Whatever you think would be keeping you from this connection, run away from it like it's fire. As it says in the Pasuk, my soul has clings to you, clings after you. My right hand is is holding on to you. All of our coming into this world, is only for that goal. To cling, to connect to HaKadosh Baruch and to escape and stay away from all of the things that keep you from that connection. So obviously, the more we live immersed in response to the drives that are aiming at genetic survival, for that sake, the less we allow for our unique individual cells to be able to become, to develop the Tzelem Elohim, which is what allows for us to connect. And that's all he's saying here. Which is precisely what it is that Haram Baham says in Hilfot Tero. People read this and they read it like Christians. And they don't realize that he's not talking about that. It's very, very clear. If you have the appropriate framework to read it. Now, he says, Now, we had to think about, this little Ramchal is very big on studying principles and understanding the details after one studies principles. He says, when we study the principles, in order to be able to know the details, Matanu Rashahim Hamisha, there are five key principles that one must be aware of and engage in in order to be able to achieve this goal of knowing God. How does he know this? Because Moshe Rabbeinu says that. He says, right? It's an amazing pasuk. Because Moshe is saying, look, at the end of the day, with everything that I'm telling you, what is it that God wants from you? So he gives us what it is that God wants, and there are five things. To fear the Lord your God to walk in His ways. To love Him. To love Him with all of your heart and soul. And to keep the mitzvot. So He goes through them now. Now when He goes through them, here we will see discrepancy between how it is that Harambam presents them and the way that he presents them. Now, it doesn't mean that these are not included in one or the other, but it's interesting that they focus on different aspects. So he says, look, the first thing is Yira, the first thing is fear, reverence. He says, Ha'inu, what does that mean? That a person should have reverence and fear of the greatness of God, right? like a person who's sitting before a great king, which is for us already very difficult to relate to. In Yira, He goes, the ultimate level of this fear, that this should just be, become part of one's consciousness, that one lives knowing that there is this impinging reality of God that is always there at all times. And it should be part of one's framework of thought. It should be how one sees the world. And one should have a feeling of reserve. Yibosh, in many uh, circumstances means embarrassment, but he's not talking about embarrassment in the sense of shame. He's saying a recognition of I am vulnerable. I'm, I'm a small entity compared to God. I'm not equal. And in everything that we do, we should recognize ourselves as such in front of Him. To the point that you are constantly in a state of, uh, right? That you, 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 there is a reverberation, right? There is a shaking of sorts, trembling before God. That's why, by the way, the Haridim call themselves Haridim. But we leave that for another time. I'm not sure that they're following this he goes of course that level of fear is extremely difficult for any human being to reach it's in, it's in, you know it's an immense level of consciousness and awareness because you're just not set up for it you know your physicality the way that you're set up doesn't really it's not wired for that kind of level of consciousness says I'll talk more about it later but there are levels. The higher one gets in that level, the better. Right? So, this is what Haram Baum says about this. He says it again. Haram Bam says things in much more basic uh, principles rather than these, these details. He says. First of all, he says very clearly that this yirah is a mitzvah. There's a mitzvah to fear him as there is to love him. He says, how do you love him? You look at the world, right? We've been through this many times. You look at the world and and he says, and, and and when a person starts to calculate the details of creation, right, of, of this world, this universe, and all of its makeup. And you start to think about how it's made and its immensity. I mean, you just think about the, the Milky Way galaxy alone. Forget about the entire universe. hu نِرْتَى لَحُرَابِ means you reel back in awareness of who you are in the scheme of things. بِفَحَدِ And you have fright even, right? You're fearful. O you begin you know and you realize that you are this minuscule tiny dark uh, entity that is standing in this in this minor light sense of consciousness in front of the all-pervasive capital c consciousness that is God when I see your heavens, says King David, and all of the stars and all that you've made, what is a human being that you should even pay attention to us? These minuscule entities on this tiny little rock revolving around some uh, you know random star. Right? So that's all. That's what Ramchal is talking about. Yeah, so that's ira. The second is halicha is walking in his ways. These have to do with all of the attributes that a person should do that are straight and appropriate, right? That are upright and just, and in that you essentially follow God. So the refinement of one's character, and that haram bam all of hilchot De'ot basically. Ba'am includes walking in his ways. Right? How, what does it mean to walk to imitate God, so to speak? And this includes, of course, humility, Rahmanut mercy being merciful, being generous. You keep away from yourself the arrogance and 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 uh, Stinginess and and uh, what's it called? Callousness, being mean. Achilut is stinginess. The already gave us a general principle with regards to our attributes in general, and they said, "This is Rabbi Udanasi, actually, in Perkei Anything that is a, a beautiful is seen as beautiful. That is splendid, both for the one who does it and for a human being to do in general, is what we should do. And to keep away things that are ugly from things that are just ugly. Don't be ugly. (inaudible) The heart of a person must always lean towards truth and what is ultimately good. And that includes, of course, following Torah and social refinement. Social refinement means that one interacts with the others, right? With others in the highest, most just, and righteous way. We'll talk more about that later too. And third is love. A person should have this love tied to one's self. That one should be always awakened to do what it is that is pleasing to God. Now this is very, very interesting. And I find this very interesting and in this I still don't understand. Why Haram, why uh, the Ramchal wrote this this way? And either he is wrong, which I hesitate to say, or he is uh, minimizing things over here for some reason. And I honestly do not know why. So I'm happy to hear anyone's uh, well-educated and intelligent explanation to this. But here is where he veers from Harambam. And I think that it is, uh, it's a low level of love. It's not a level of love that I don't think is appropriate. I think it's appropriate but it's a low level. And since here in the ira he talks about the highest levels, I would expect him in, in speaking about love to speak about the highest levels, but he does not. He most absolutely does not. And I'll prove it to you that he doesn't. So he says when he's talking about love, you should do what's pleasing to God. The way that a person does with his mother and father. So the kind of love that the Ramhal is talking about over here is parental love from a child which is childish it's not a mature love so he says and if a person doesn't please god he should feel anguish over it the same way that he would feel anguish over not pleasing his parents if they're nice parents and he loves his parents right when he does please God, he should be very happy. Uh, again, it's unfortunate. It's, this is the, the level of Ahava that the Ramchal puts for whatever reason. It may be that he saw fit that in this particular work, in this particular development, the way that he was framing things, that this was the kind of love that he wanted people to focus on which is a, the first wrong love, obviously. I mean, there is, this is the, literally the first love that a person has in one's life. It's the first level. So whereas the Yir'ai has the highest level, which is impossible to attain, the love he has the lowest level. If you take a look at Haramba, you see that it's extremely different. I mean, profoundly different. Where here, Haram goes all out and talks about the very highest levels of love. He never talks about fear that way, interestingly. Never, you don't see in all of the Mishneh Torah, Aram Vam talk about the fear in the way that the Ramchal did. He recognizes that it's important, right, to fear God in that way and talks about it over there. But this is a whole nother level. He says, but this is in the last of A person shouldn't say, "I'm doing vote to get reward, or I'm doing avirot so I don't get killed," on whatever level. It is unfitting to serve God in this way. What is that? Fear that something's going to happen to you or you're going to get something good for you, right? Which is completely personally oriented. A person who serves this way, serves from fear. This is not the same kind of fear that even Harambam was talking about that I showed you before and where he's contemplating the expense of the universe, nor the yirah that the Ramchal was talking about, where he talks about God's loftiness and standing before a great king. This is fear that you might get into trouble. So it's a very personal fear, right? This is not the level of the prophets or the wise people the only people who serve God this way are the are the ignorant people and the women and children why women because the women in Harabam's time were not educated not because women are not capable of doing it and that's not me and my gloss Harabam specifically says that says that because he says about all of them we teach them all to serve out of fear of these punishments at their earliest stages in life datan until their dot becomes greater. and that refers back to Nina Shi all of them. the Me'Avan that they serve because remember the Ames are all men right It's just that the men tended to engage in study as a more systematic thing, right the women did. has nothing to do with women specifically in terms of being women. Until their dad becomes greater and they serve how? So, as far as Haram is concerned, everything is about the whole goal is from moving from Yirah to Ahaba. What kind of Ahaba? Mommy daddy love? No. He says, What kind of love? You should love God in a great, exceeding, intense way. Beyond. Meod is very much so. To the point that your soul is tied with the love of God. To the point that you cannot not think, you're thinking about it always. Whether you're standing, sitting, eating, drinking, whatever you're doing, you should be constantly consumed by this love. More than that, should be the love of God. As it says, with all of your heart and all of your soul. Now, what you'll notice over here is that there is a line missing, which is atrocious. It is criminal. Because this is taken from the Vilna edition of the Rambam. And they they, uh, censored it. You want to know what it actually says? Because it doesn't say what kind of love. I'll tell you what it actually says. This is the proper version. And Baum says as follows. Yeah, I read for you, right? It should be even more than that. Here. Oh, sorry. Excuse me. I'm sorry. Sorry. I skipped. It's my fault. My bad. It's all intact. It's all intact. This is not the version that I that I thought. So it says as follows. I skipped the line. It says, you should have such love that your, your mind is not clear. Me'avat <inaudible> otaisha. As though you are in love with a woman. <inaudible> that he can't stop thinking about her. So what kind of love is I'm talking about over here? It's a very different love than parental love. He's talking about spousal love. He's talking about mutual love between two adults. And he's not just talking about any love. He's talking about infatuated love. This is like the following love kind of infatuation that he's talking. He says that is how a person is supposed to love God. So Ramahal completely evades this. Doesn't mention it in his opening, which is interesting. In any case, I'll just finish it with you. I know we're a touch over time, but you'll bear with me. Okay. The fourth level is the wholeness of one's thought. Right, The perspective that one has in his general approach to Avoda has to be pure. To be serving God only and nothing else. Not anything else. A person should be entirely invested with God and not as though he's on the fence, doing things partially for God, partially for ulterior motives. Shouldn't be done simply because people told him. Should be because he knows God and wants to serve God. And the fifth is, keeping the mitzvot. and all of their laws and details. Now he says, that's how Moshe Rabbeinu puts it across. I found, he says, that the hachamim put it out in a different way. Moshe spoke about it in terms of our obligation, and put it into five principles. The hachamim spoke about it in terms of the manner in which we achieve these things, and they put it in terms of those levels, of how we go through the development the developmental steps into achieving these things. And um, and he brings that over here, which is essentially how it is that he ends up writing the Mesid Isharim. He asks the Hacham, which way do you want to go? And he says, well, it's probably better if we do it in the way that, you know, that tells us the the steps. Right. And that's where the, the Mesid Ha'isharim begins, really. Okay. So that's our uh, journey into the introduction of the Mesid Isharim, as the Ramchal put it in his dialogue form. And um, we're going to end with it here. So, what I will do with it, we have two classes, two more classes scheduled. What I'm going to do next time is I'm going to go, we're going to look from the perspective of Haram and see how it is that he looks at these things in in, uh, a little bit in Hilchot Yisodayah Torah and Hilchot De'ot. And with that, I think we we will complete the session. Yeah. What I'll just say about the Ahava, right, is that clearly what Harambam is teaching us is that the goal is to be able to see our relationship with God almost as a partnership. Whereas the Ramhal is saying that we should look at, at God as a parent and we are there to please and serve Him. And those two things are extremely different. They in interestingly, in our lives, they are meant to be developmental. Right, where we start with the, the parental love and develop into a mature mutual love with the same entity, right. which has interesting implications in the Western world, but nonetheless. Something important to read, again, I've always said that one should read uh, Fromm's Art of Loving, where he addresses a lot of these things in terms of their, their place and development. Okay,
1: Rob, thank you so take a,
2: much. Yes, yeah. I'm just going to take a quick. There's two minutes till 9:40, so give me a second just to skim through these points and questions.
1: Some of them may no longer be relevant as they right. were.
2: they do make a compelling case for psychological development. Thank you. David
1: um, Hazan's points. Yetzar
2: versus Yetzar Tov. Yeah, it's both the same. It's all creative, right? It's our capacity for creation, which is what yetzer is. Right? Yetzar Adonai Adam. is creation. Yetzar is a creative drive. So it's a question of what I'm using my creativity for. Am I using my creativity for Tov or am I using my creativity for Ra? That's all. Yeah? Thank you, Berthold. Thank you, Claudia. I don't know what respectful love is referring to, Noah, but perhaps you can uh, develop. Do you have any questions? Okay. It sounds like maybe Amhal had a problem going that far with the love maybe due to me. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I don't think that the Ramachal negated that. In other words, I don't think that Amhal was cholek I would, on I would. He would have to have a very good reason for that. I think that the way that he was presenting it in, in the misilah. He was specifically gearing towards that. And I think that one of the reasons why he specifically, I think, again, this is my suggestion as I've been thinking on this for many years. I think that one of the reasons why he is presenting it this way is because what he's aiming to do is a certain level of, of subjugation of arrogance. Right. In other words, what we recognize is one of the most problematic aspects of our drives is ego. And it's very easy for a person to say, yes, I'm God's spouse, you know, and I'm a partner with God. And if a person does not develop into those stages from the basal element of service out of love, right, recognition of, of that kind of, you know, child parent service, a person doesn't really end up learning how to love. And, and what we know psychologically today is that you know, you tell me how you were raised, and I'll tell you how you love. Because so much of the way that we love is the way the is, the is of the love that we had between us and our parents, the way that they modeled it, the way that we were taught by them, and so on and so forth. And so so much of our mature love really isn't mature. It's really just replays of how it is that we learned from our parents how to love. Real mature love deals with all of that, acknowledges all of that looks at the transference and counter transference that happens in loving relationships and interactions and dismantles it and rebuilds it in a mature way. So I think that the Ramchal was not putting the height of that out because this is where things needed to start. I mean, again, not to be arrogant myself, chas v'shalom, but I would have liked to have seen him say that it develops from this place into that place or at least reference Harambam or something of that nature. But I think that because he's doing it in the stages, right, he ends up doing the book in terms of stages, he uses the basal stage, which most people don't even have down very well, right? This whole kabed avich mecha problem is not an easy thing to do. So I, it's, again, those are only my glib uh, uh, initial thoughts. I don't think that I have it uh, well yet. Isaac, I see you raise your hand.
0: Um I think the difference between Aram Khal and Aram Bam is the like the fundamental way they see how human beings react to, you know, a higher power to say. Like a mm-hmm. God, once they the, the, the basic reaction to that, Baam sees as the a fear of God and the fear of him punishing you and and, and uh, for not following his way. And and Khal sees that as um, you know introducing another another person to take care of you almost like uh, like a parent. So that's why he says it's it's uh, the love like a father or mother. And Haram Ban says it's fear um, as the basic level, and then you have to you have to tra- you have to be taught to, to love higher. Whereas Khal is uh, I think that's I think that, the, that's, the a, I a think that that's a, a meaningful and part. true
2: idea. I think that's meaningful and true. I just don't, I am still wondering why it is that Ramchal doesn't mention the higher levels, since everything else he's talking about is the highest levels. So it doesn't match. Yeah. Um, no, yes, of course, respectful, but it's obedient in his nature. There's no question about it. Right. Of course, it's respectful. Yeah. But it's uh, the the essence is, is not only obedience, but gratitude and recognition. Right. You know, I mean, how are you ever? How do you ever, you know, give back to your parents? At the end of the day, you know, the fact that we're alive means that they did something right, you know, beyond what it is that uh, we could we could recognize and think.
1: Okay, very good. Sorry for going over. To, what is it? One quick question from Sina. He, he's not able yeah. to ask, but he was asking, wondering whether one should take the golden mean between the chacham and the Hasid.
2: I don't think that there is a golden mean between them. I don't think that that's the issue. I think that the hacham the didn't recognize these things, and the Hasid is saying you need to recognize these things, and you go gradually. That's all. Yeah. Okay. okay.
1: Thank you so, so much for going through it so thoroughly, and we, we look forward to the next session. Um, just for everyone else, we continue on Monday. Every Monday we have with Rafa, we're going through Masechet Sanhedrin. All welcome and. With, we're going to be, you don't know with,
2: how lucky you are. You don't know how lucky you are to have those. Shiorim. Absolutely unbelievable.
1: Um, You're not found. And we have with Diane Livnat coming up. Um, we're going to start going through. Excellent. Aruch of Eben Excellent. Um, and yeah, just a reminder for everyone check the website and the journal. And please, God, we're having another one coming out quite soon. Um, and I think that's it. Uh, hopefully, the Devarim Nichnasim ad Penimut Levavenu. Can you Can
2: you okay. okay. Laila, Laila to everybody.
1: Welcome to the third part in the series from Rabbi Joseph Dweck. In this episode, we'll be discussing the introduction to Masilaki Sharim, the dialogue version.
2: Enjoy.